3: to blame they say history repeats itself not on my watch my name is rebecca delgado smith and i am the alarmist hey everyone thanks for tuning into the alarmist a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest disasters and figure out who's to blame Today we'll be talking about the failed Antarctica expedition of Robert Falcon Scott, and here's what you need to know. The Terra Nova expedition, officially the British Antarctic expedition, was an expedition to Antarctica which took place between 1910 and 1913. Robert Falcon Scott, an explorer who had previously led the discovery expedition of 1901 to 1904, was determined to return to Antarctica and be the first person to reach the South Pole. In 1910, Scott embarked on his second mission to the freezing continent, but what he didn't know was that he had competition. Norwegian explorer Raoul Amundsen had his sights on beating Scott to the South Pole. Scott learned of his intentions when his ship, the Terra Nova, stopped in Melbourne, Australia, en route to their destination. There he received a telegram from Amundsen that read, Beg leave to inform you, from proceeding Antarctic,
1: Amundsen.
3: By January 1911, Scott and his men reached landfall in the Ross Dependency, south of New Zealand. They unloaded sled dogs, ponies, motorized sledges, and a prefabricated 50 by 25 foot wooden hut with quilted seaweed insulation and set up camp at Cape Evans. For months, the expedition team initiated various experiments and explorations. During one of them, First Officer Victor Campbell, along with six men, sailed the Terra Nova east, but on the way back to camp, they made a discovery. Raoul Amundsen's expedition was also there. Amundsen and his men had set up camp in the Bay of Wales, 400 miles away from the British camp. The two parties exchanged pleasantries, and Campbell rushed back to inform Scott that his rival had arrived. This came as a shock to Scott. Amundsen's arrival was faster than expected, but Scott put it aside and proceeded as planned. His crew began laying supply depots in preparation of their journey. The trek from Scott's hut in Cape Evans to the South Pole would be over 900 miles long. The first part of the mission would entail them crossing the 400-mile Ross Ice Shelf. Then, they'd have to climb the 125-mile-long Beardmore Glacier. And finally, at an altitude of 10,000 feet, they'd continue for another 370 miles to the pole. But Scott had encountered complications almost immediately. The depot-laying missions were held up by fierce blizzards, and the ponies, who had performed much worse than expected, began weakening and dying. By the beginning of the Antarctic winter in April 1911, the 25 men hunkered down to wait it out. And when spring finally arrived, Scott and his crew started on their journey.
1: Are you
4: ready to go where no man has gone before?
3: On October 24, 1911, an initial group of 16 men set out on motor sledges. Unfortunately, the sledges broke down after just 50 miles. Scott decided to continue onward and have the dogs push on. The party reached the far edge of the Great Ice Barrier and began to climb the Beardmore Glacier. And on December 20th, they crossed the vast, empty plateau which lay between them and the pole. It was on January 3rd, 1912, less than two and a half months after they started their journey, that Scott selected the four men who would join him on the final leg of the trip. The Polar Party Although he had planned to have the Polar Party consist of four men, including himself, at the last minute, Scott added an extra man to the group. The party consisted of Chief Scientist Dr. Edward Wilson. He was also Scott's best friend. Lawrence Oates, who was described as an aristocratic but unassuming army captain. He had also been in charge of the ponies during the expedition. Henry Bowers, who was known for his excellent stamina, and Edgar Evans, the strongman of the group. The final five men pushed southward, and on January 17, 1912, the team reached the pole.
1: We've made it! By God, we've made it! Oh, no!
3: But amid the endless white nothingness, they spotted a tent with a Norwegian flag fluttering above it. A note attached delivered the news.
1: So we plant your dear flag on the South Pole and give the plain on which it lies the name King Hawken Sevens Plateau. Amundsen had
3: beaten them by five weeks.
2: Na 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 na.
3: The five men turned around and started retracing their steps back to Cape Evans. They crossed the polar plateau with relative ease, but as they ascended the Beardmore Glacier, they started to struggle. Evans, the strongman, was suffering from severe frostbite. At one point, he sustained a fall on his head, which possibly caused a concussion. Evans carried on for two weeks, but then collapsed and died as they neared the bottom of the glacier on February 17th. The surviving four men continued across the Great Ice Barrier to a supply depot. Oates, the aristocrat army captain, was now also suffering from frostbite and gangrene on his feet, and it made it nearly impossible for the group to march more than a few miles a day. By March 17, on his 32nd birthday, Oates knew he was slowing down the group. That morning, he told the others, I'm just going
4: outside be some time,
3: and stepped outside to his death. Scott, Bowers, and Wilson pressed on, but they were growing weak. On March 20th, just 11 miles from the largest supply depot, the three men were halted by a ferocious blizzard. After nine days of waiting at the blizzard, on March 29th, 1912, Scott recorded his final diary entry
4: ready to start for our depot 11 miles away but outside the doors of the tent it remains a scene of whirling drift i do not think we can hope for better things now we shall stick it out to the end but we are getting weaker of course and the end cannot be far it seems a pity but i do not think i can write more for god's sake look after our people
3: Seven months later, on October 29, 1912, after the Antarctic winter had mellowed out, a search party went out to find the men. Less than two weeks later, they spotted the top of a tent peeking from under some snow. Inside, along with their letters and belongings, were the bodies of Dr. Edward Wilson, Henry Bowers, and explorer Robert Falcon Scott." Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. The men on the Terranova expedition were chosen from 8,000 applicants. The continent of Antarctica is larger than India and China combined. The journey for the expedition crew was over 900 miles from Cape Evans to the South Pole. Four days after the news arrived that the men were dead, A memorial service was held at St. Paul's, attended by the King, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the elite of British society. More than 10,000 people gathered outside. At the time of the death, Chief Scientist Dr. Edward Wilson was 39, Lawrence Oates was 32, Henry Bowers was 28, Edgar Evans was 35, and Robert Falcon Scott was 43 years old. Well, hello everyone. With us today, we have producer Amanda. I'm ready to blame. And we have fact checker Chris. Hi, everyone. And a very special guest, my dear friend, Grady Miller.
4: Hi, everybody. Hey, Hey, Grady.
3: Grady, now, you are uh, a hiker. You love hiking. It's one of the things I know about you and I love so much. I I love that you love gear.
2: I was deprived of gear as a child, so now it's like I am in a race to make it up. (laughs) <laughs> I like having the exact right thing, you know, that you're supposed to have for this exact expedition.
1: Give us an example. Do you have like a stove? That's also nail clippers. And <laughs> <a different hat>? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever camped anywhere cold?
2: Yeah, I've done some ice camping. Um, I took a outdoor class last year with the Sierra club, their wilderness travel course. And we did some snow, snow camping, but I used to, when I was a kid, we did snow camping, um, like you build an igloo, you know, and then that's where you end up sleeping for the night.
3: Wait, it's wait, wait, wait! wait. You build an igloo? Yeah,
2: I mean, wow. it's not it's not like the old it's not like in the cartoons with like blocks of ice. But you basically just pile snow into a huge mound as much as you can get. You tamp it down, you know, step on it, try and get it as compact as possible, and then you carve out the the sort of like the, the sleeping this cave for you to sleep in at night. And it keeps you a lot warmer than being out in a tent or. Because it radiates and refract- refracts your heat. I
3: don't understand science, but that's crazy <laughs> to me. That doesn't make sense. Let's start blaming people. And let's let's first talk about Robert Falcon Scott. Now, according to BBC.co, Robert Falcon Scott was born on June 6, 1868 in Davenport, He became a naval cadet at the age of 13 and served on a number of Royal Navy ships in the 1880s and 1890s. And he attracted the notice of the Royal Geographical Society, which appointed him to command the National Antarctic Expedition of 1901 to 1904. So this expedition, which included Ernest Shackleton, reached further south than anyone before them, and Scott returned to Britain A national hero so he'd already been to the uh to antarctica at the end of the day he really just wanted to be the first one to go right this idea of first right we got to get there first first is the worst second is the (laughs) best third is the one with the hairy hairy chest right
4: that is what they say that
3: is what they say now Obviously, he didn't learn this in school.
4: Why didn't he think of that? Yeah, it's a great question.
3: From so this is from the diary of Robert Falcon Scott. This is on January 17, 1912. He's, you know, he's already there. The poll, yes, but under very different circumstances from those expected. Great God, this is an awful place and terrible enough for us to have labored to it without the reward of priority. Well, it's something to, to have got there. At this point, it feels mm. like he, uh, he, it was more about winning than it was about getting there.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the return trip is where everything fell apart. And it's like, how much did the, the heartbreak of not being first contribute to him, like them all losing mm. faith on their return.
3: I mean, I love that. Let's put heartbreak number one up on the board.
2: I can relate to wanting to push yourself and the and do of like getting to the top of a big mountain or, you know, rafting down a dangerous river. But I don't I don't relate to the first of it. Like, I want someone to have gotten there. Teach me how to do it. Show me a, you can do it. Then I'll go. So there is a special insanity in these explorers who have to be first.
3: So let's talk about his bad decision making. Because it's possibly some, something that we can blame. According to Cool Antarctica, in all of his planning, Scott had intended there to be four men in the final party that reached the pole. Scott hadn't announced who his polar party would be until the last group were due to turn back. At the last minute, he decided that Henry, Henry Bertie Bowers should join the four. This meant that all the planned rations and fuels for four now needed to supply five. On the plus side, it meant an extra man to pull the sledge, though Bowers didn't have skis. The other four had them as planned, but he had to trudge through the deep, soft snow by walking.
2: Wow. (laughs) So very bad decision to bring him. I mean, he's eating all your food. He's sinking through the snow.
1: Yeah, five's a crowd. Five's That's why a- we keep these recordings to four for we the most part. max out
0: at four, yeah, exactly.
4: It's always awkward when we have the web crawlers on. That's why it's always so awkward, because it's five.
1: It's so one, one those, too many.
4: One of those girls, that we have to lose one of their numbers, you know? Like, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding.
1: I have a quick question, Rebecca. Uh-huh. So it doesn't sound to me like anything went disastrously wrong on this expedition. I know getting to the South Pole, they they ran into some hiccups, which maybe caused them to be more tired once they actually reached there. But was there anything that, like any big thing that happened that made it such a disaster or was it ill-fated from the beginning? Nothing went wrong until they started to turn back. But
3: once they turned back, everything that could have gone wrong did. Mm. Now that we have Robert up on the board, I want to talk about Roald Amundsen. Let's talk about him. According to Cool Antarctica website, Scott, Scott was not told of Amundsen's attempt until he received a telegram for, from Amundsen in, on September 1910 when the Terra Nova was in Melbourne, Australia. This is the, and the telegram reads beg leave to inform you, Fram proceeding Antarctica. Amundsen later claimed that he thought Scott's expedition was scientific only with the poll being a side issue, despite Scott's clear earlier announcement. According to theguardian.com, the news stunned Scott and his men, as one of them remarked, quote, are up against a very big man. Amundsen had a tremendous reputation. He was a meticulous planner, easily and best organized explorer of his generation it was not good news for scott so already everyone is kind of freaking out except for scott his plans were set off on november the first when uh when the weather was suitable for the siberian ponies if only the dog teams were used as dogs are more resilient to the cold. Amundsen effectively contrived a race with Scott and surprised Scott with the news, knowing that his dogs probably gave him an advantage, though he was concerned that Scott might beat him to the pole with this motor sledges. Scott at no point sought or entered into a race and decided not to let Amundsen force him to change his plans. Now we're getting an understanding of who Scott is. He's got confidence but he's also like very hard-headed.
2: You know, we got Scott on the board. Um, but I think that what what maybe is underlying this is like British culture uh, versus Norwegian or Scandinavian culture. It's like they're in, they were very imperialist and like definitely an arrogance there maybe. I mean, sorry, our friends from the UK but we've
3: got a lot of <laughs> listeners in the UK yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm a real Anglophile I love I love I love the UK but I'm just saying maybe there was a lack of humility in this explorer bred in him from being part of the Royal Geographic Society and being a you know like not planning ahead enough the way the like more modest humble you know Scandinavian might and did
3: well I think that I think you're onto something and I think we can maybe call it these British manners. So according to uh, cool Antarctica, again, this aspect is sometimes portrayed as the manners of a bygone age, a defunct code of honor amongst gentlemen, outdated arcane rules broken by Amundsen, who become, who became the winner in his own race The interpretation of this is very subjective. Personally, I feel that Amundsen did behave badly and hope that he would get away with it. Knowing he would not get permission, he hoped for forgiveness instead. And all the easier to forgive the transgression of etiquette of someone who had achieved a heroic first. Had Scott and his men returned alive, Amundsen's act would probably have largely been forgiven and things would mostly have been well. However, they didn't survive. Amundsen took the criticism of the manner in which he won the race to reach the pole first badly. He is said to have been much troubled by Scott and his men dying and was described as being unhappy after the South Pole expedition and that his life after that
1: was an anti-climax. To me, it seems like Scott handled it well under the circumstances. He had this competition come out of nowhere. Amundsen sort of deliberately was trying to take the wind out of Scott's sails. And instead of getting riled up and pushing faster or doing something off like out of the ordinary um, that would put people in risk, he just stuck to the course, which... To me, I'm actually impressed by. But where he went wrong was he clearly, it was really important for him to win.
3: Clearly, afterwards when he lost, that was a huge factor in, in, in his demise. So it was like his inability to say out loud that this is what I want.
4: That's assuming that it was the heartbreak of not getting there first. That is what sort of led well, to his Well, he wrote demise. about it
3: in his diary.
2: It sounded pretty sad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, you could you could say that he, sort of get, he was a poor loser. I mean, to me, that's kind of what it boils down to. But on the other hand, you could also just say he, at every turn, had bad luck. Let's put bad luck up on the board. And let's put our friend
3: Amundsen up on the board because...
4: Did we also want to put British manners on the yes, board? Yes,
3: I think we should put the British manners. Another yeah. thing about um, the British manners I- I'll just mention is... Scott then writes in his diary of Oates' death. So after Oates goes out into the wild and the wild into the cold (laughs) and (laughs) does this sacrifice, he says, he writes, we know that poor Oates was walking to his death. But though we tried to dissuade him, we knew it was the uh, act of a brave man and an English gentleman. Weird. Wow. It is weird. It's like your friend just walked out and died. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking O oh, should have done it sooner. That's what I was thinking too, because it obviously didn't work. I mean, yeah. he
4: dragged them down enough; they ended up 11 miles from the finish line. Had he done something like that sooner, but at that, well, but he wasn't as
1: sick. It's it's a tough call. It may have been too little, too late. However, it still is, I think, a very honorable and brave thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He really did sacrifice. Himself for 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 his
3: friends. Well, I don't think we can put oats. I mean, he was a nah. hero. If anything, <laughs>
4: <laughs> I mean, there's a case. Slow if, you oats. Be, if you really want to be <laughs> Slow if you yeah, if you want to really take the steam out of his sort of you know uh, chivalry or whatever you want to call it, you could say he didn't m- make that gesture sooner, like, <laughs> he made that gesture. like a okay, week let's earlier. let's
1: slow oats. Let's put so slow, slow. On the board.
4: I mean, he was slow. Well, I don't
1: think he's going to jail. I, I don't think I. Can.
4: <laughs> that's a situation where you would pref- you would have preferred to have instant oats. You wouldn't want to have to wait, wait around. <laughs> Pop it in the micro, half out uh t- well, three minutes i'm
3: glad it's been over a hundred years otherwise this conversation would be really wrong
4: yeah <laughs> i yeah. guess it's still it's still pretty wrong <laughs> okay.
3: now let's talk about the blow to the morale which is kind of what we were talking about before the impact of amundsen comes in the form of the blow to the morale of scott's party on finding out that there they were beaten to the south pole after the planning and uh, after all of their planning and efforts from when Scott learned Amundsen reached the fir- the pole first onwards, there is virtually no optimism in his journal entries, none of the former joy or enthusiasm for the task in hand, just an increasingly desperate tale of a slow walk and battle for survival that ends in tragedy. If Amundsen hadn't got to the pole first, uh, though, and if Scott and his party had been Uh, buoyed up with an eagerness to get home to tell the world of their success. Would the cumulative effect have been enough to push them over that final 11 miles between life and death? Because let's remember, they were 11 miles away. It's
4: true. And this was Grady's uh, first uh, suggestion was heartbreak. I mean, that's basically what this is, right?
2: Yeah. Right. You know, this makes me think about The Amazing Race. It's like... (laughs) You know how much I love The Amazing Race. And yes. it's like when when a team thinks that they're in the lead and they haven't seen another team all day or all week because they're just so far flung across the world, and they think they're about to step on that mat and win – The day or win the entire competition and they get there and they are like a day behind because they had just had no idea where they were in the race there's nothing more demoralizing and like their will is crushed like they can't like that that ruins them sometimes for the whole thing they can't go on
3: right what actually created this disaster what did they create the disaster themselves or was it something that happened to them Mm. This is something, uh, so bad weather was clearly one of the things that set them back.
4: Mother nature, it always comes back to the woman. (laughs) (laughs) Patriarchy, man.
3: (laughs) According to Cool Antarctica, there is... Now, much evidence to suggest that the weather that Scott encountered on his return journey from the pole was unusual. The daily minima for, uh, from late February until the final camp were an additional negative 10 to negative 20. Uh, Fahrenheit below what would normally be expected in that area at the time of year. That, that particularly cold conditions that Scott experienced in 1912 can be expected about once every 15 years. Mm. These unusually low temperatures had a severe, had several effects. One of them was it made the ice surface over which the sledge uh, was pulled less slippery and more difficult to uh, haul over. Mm. A loaded sledge can be pulled over a, a hard, flat surface with surprisingly little extra effort above uh, walking. If the surface is uh, of the fine, crystalline, sandy texture that Scott frequently reports, it becomes hugely more difficult. Mm. So the, 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 the sledges aren't s- slippery Slip sliding away. You right. know what I mean?
4: The sledges are important because Amundsen didn't have any, right? He stuck with the dogs, and and Scott had them.
3: Food and snow for cooking and drinking uh, was colder, and so needed more fuel to f- warm it up. Fuel that was already running out in, in the latter stages as canisters and depots had leaked. Ooh. It is likely that some of the f- food that they ate would not have been fully warmed up, so using their reserves of body heat it also made frostbite far more likely oats in particular suffered from frostbite on the feet and later in the hands scott had frostbite uh scott had a frostbitten foot that would have kept him in the tent in the final camp even if bowers and wilson had been able to continue and finally setting up camp breaking camp in the morning and putting on clothes and especially boots that were stiff with frost and icily cold All take longer when it's cold and are taxing on the morale. It wasn't just that it was cold and they were getting frostbite. It was like all of these other things. Without the the exceptional weather encountered by Scott late in the season, his party may well have survived. Amundsen, in setting out and returning earlier, avoided the worst effects of these weather conditions. Well, I think we, I think we can put the frozen socks, right, up on the board. Because I think that, um, they had to hang their socks overnight. Um, so that they would dry, but the tent was so cold that the socks actually froze stiff and it took them over an hour to get dressed every morning and their feet were then more susceptible to hypothermia and uh, frostbite. So their raw feet would have ached rubbing up against the rock hard socks and then the boots. I mean, this is a nightmare. Ugh.
2: Yes. This is Terrible. Nightmare. If one thing had been different, maybe, you know, it, they would have made it back, but it's like everything went wrong.
3: They couldn't catch a break.
2: Yeah. No. Well,
3: I think we should put the meteorologist up on the board because there's this guy uh, by the name of George Simpson that I was uh, researching, and he was brought to with Scott uh, to do, I don't know, meteorolo- meteorological uh, scientific experiments. Um, anyway, he was apparently this brilliant meteorologist, and he uh, was able to predict... Uh, on and off like three degrees from what the temperatures would have been like in the journey, but he failed to predict that there would be this blizzard or that it was an option. He failed to, as well as the lack of the tailwind, Scott himself didn't actually blame Simpson, but Simpson got it wrong. And at the end of the day, I think it's important that we talk about these, um, meteorologists and weather, uh, people who predict weather because No one should ever uh, trust a weather report.
2: How many meteorologists do you have as listeners and fans of the show?
3: I don't know. We'll have to find out. I think think you're
2: going to find out after this episode.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's stop. There's three things I want to talk before we kind of get to blaming. One of them is Loyalty. On March 19th, Scott, Wilson, and Bowers set up camp from the last time, for the last time. On March 29th, Scott wrote his last letter. In it, he said that he had been stuck because of a blizzard. But according to Susan Solomon, author of The Coldest March, and Antarctica blizzards don't tend to last more than two or three days. On March 27th, someone from the camp that was over in Camp Evans went outside and said that there was no blizzard. Temperatures were at zero degrees and only a light wind, so she believes that the real reason that they couldn't leave the camp was that Scott had gotten severe frostbite on his foot, and Wilson and Bowers were unwilling to leave him behind, and therefore they told him that they couldn't travel due to a blizzard outside. What about that theory?
2: It feels like it's in the it's definitely a good theory but it feels like it's in like the manners category like right. <laughs> manners plus this is like
4: <laughs> yeah when you're, when manners go when Manners gone wild is what yeah. it would be British manners gone wild.
3: But he was the captain, and they were good friends. I think at the end of the day, would you leave your friends behind? This is this is a. I feel like I'm on
1: in uh, on an episode of the Big Ones, which you know, just a quick plug is is my podcast. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm curious,
1: that you can check out, but you know, a, a lot of these things that we're saying, you know, are sort of are making us maybe want to blame Scott. To me, are making me feel so bad for him. Mm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean he definitely cared to your point. Like he he had a lot of heart.
3: Let me throw something that will maybe change your mind about Scott. Uh oh. Insufficient food. This goes back to Scott's planning. Scott and his men were supplied with rations of uh pemmican, sledging biscuits, sugar, butter, tea, and cocoa powder that supplied about forty uh four thousand five hundred kilocalories per man per day on the way to the pole and about 3,800 kilocalories on the return journey. We now know that they were expending in the region of 7,000 kilocalories per day. Better rations would have meant better progress and less susceptibility to cold, including frostbite and hypothermia. Mm
4: -hmm. So
3: that's a big strike against Scott's planning because these food depots should have been stocked with more food. Mm. Then, there was the uh, the lack of fuel. Let's talk about the lack of fuel. The food carried on expeditions is low in water to save weight. Water is easily added at mealtimes by melting snow and ice. Though heating all of that food, snow, and ice from well below freezing to boiling point for cooking and hot drinks takes a lot of fuel. Fuel for cooking is therefore almost as important as food in polar environments. So lack of fuel, lack of food. and Another thing that was bad planning, he chose a bad camping spot. So the Norwegians set up their base camp, uh, Framheim, further along the Ross Ice Shelf near the Bay of Wales. It was located 400 miles from the British base at Cape Evans and about 60 miles nearer to the pole. I mean, it just
2: sounds like you're painting a picture of a guy who just made slightly wrong decisions at every critical juncture, like every planning decision he could have made was just the wrong one.
3: Is there anything else that we should throw up on this list before
1: we start doing the process of elimination?
2: No, I think we've got it all industry. I have one
1: idea that is sort of broad that we could put a mankind's desire for exploration. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Why do we explore? Why? I mean, I guess we're
3: curious. I think we want to. Curiosity. Curiosity. Curiosity killed the Scott. Yeah. Killed the Scott. Yeah.
4: (laughs) So we want to put curiosity up on the board?
3: I mean, that's a tough one, but Yeah. yeah. I I think you're right. Let's give it a look. It's also like colonization. Like, what's the point of putting the flag? It's the same thing with the moon. I mean, I get it. Thank you for doing it. We learned a lot. But, like, it's just about, like, the the race to the moon. It's about putting up that flag and getting the – it's a photo op situation.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do we have something like the race to be the first
3: number? Mm -hmm. Yeah, getting – maybe, like, getting the number one uh, ribbon. Yeah, so, I mean, like, why do we care about that dumb ribbon? It's the an ego rib- thing. The blue ribbon, <laughs>
2: the blue ribbon. Yeah, blue
0: ribbon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's a stupid blue ribbon. Why do we care?
0: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.
2: a lot can
1: happen in three years like a chat bot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com
3: here,
4: <laughs> <laughs> here we have up on the board for the terranova disaster heartbreak rf scott uh british manners gone wild bad luck Amundsen, slow oats, bad weather, frozen socks, Simpson, the meteorologist, loyalty, food and fuel, curiosity, and that blue ribbon. <laughs>
3: okay, so right off the bat, um I think we can take the meteorologist off because I think he was doing his best. Again, it's 19, you know, 10, 1911. But I do want this to be a warning to everyone. Do not trust a weather report. (laughs) So it's just one of... One of the one of my causes, one of the things I'm out to
2: fight. <laughs> okay, you have um, some
4: enemies you're trying to make, and uh, one thing I want to take off the board as well as frozen socks. I think just think that can be wrapped up into bad weather.
3: Oh, I mean, okay. I, I was going to say, gosh, those socks really were the end. Literally, the, it killed them, and in, in the end,
2: it's true. They were eaten it by created- the socks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the frostbite on the feet was what really doomed them. They couldn't go eleven
1: miles, yeah, but the yeah. frozen
4: they were only frozen because of the bad weather the cold the cold weather
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean i will I agree that frozen socks maybe can remain a little bit longer because they could be a good figurehead for like bad luck just... I, and I like the visual a lot.
2: <laughs> Amanda
3: thank you for
1: backing me up
3: insane. <laughs> what I think we can take off is bad luck
2: I mean that's why you are an explorer that's why you're an outdoors man or woman it's like you come prepared like bad luck's gonna happen you have to expect it and I'm sure that if we dug in to Amundsen's expedition they had a lot of bad luck that you know they still overcame okay. maybe not as and much with
1: bad luck I think we can take off just to kind of put it all together, lack of food, lack of fuel. Because to me, all of those things can kind of be tied into Frozen Socks. <laughs> I was going to
3: say they could be tied into
1: Falcon Scott. And what about A- Amundsen?
4: Amundsen's up there, and I was just thinking about him because I think that, uh, look, if you, de- if you just lift him out of this whole equation, the big thing is that's going to be this hit on the morale. So if Scott does make it and everything goes... You know, even with his bad luck, does that morale buy them another eleven miles?
3: But I, that's why I think we should keep him up on the board a little longer. I think we can take slow Oats out. I mean, yeah,
1: <laughs> poor, poor Oats. guy, poor Oats. <laughs> he was doing I'm his a- best. Do we want to give? Do we want to give Oats the big clap? Let's give him the big clap. Oats,
3: you're getting the big clap. <laughs> he was doing his best. We're all, all right. we're all Oats out there. We're just doing our best. Okay, so just as a recap, we've got Heartbreak, Robert Falcon Scott, British Manners Gone Wild, Amundsen, Bad Weather, Frozen Socks, Loyalty, Curiosity, and the Blue Ribbon. Now... I think we can take loyalty off.
4: Well, it's only a theory. That's only
2: a theory. That's right.
4: It's sort of an
3: unproven theory.
2: We can't really bank on It's a
3: good theory, though.
2: Yeah, and I think by that point, they were, you know, even though they only needed 11 miles, they were pretty doomed.
3: Now,
1: can we take bad weather off and leave Frozen Socks? (laughs) I like that because I think Frozen (laughs) Socks, to me, like I said, is the visual for bad weather. And of all the things, I mean that's got to be the most painful
3: part of the bad weather.
2: it sounded i mean like frostbite was really what took took him down um piece by piece literally yeah. okay i I feel like i'm
4: I'm going insane right now. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'll do whatever you guys want with the frozen socks, even though the frozen the socks I, would never have been frozen I'm sure if it wasn't for the bad weather. I 99%
3: mean, of our listeners are
4: just, in their heads are exploding. Right? <laughs> no, I think they get
1: it. I think they get yeah, what we're saying. Yeah, our listeners
4: <laughs> get it. I am the crazy one.
1: <laughs> I think we can strike
3: curios- curiosity off.
4: It's I agree. Broad. I, I would agree. Yeah,
3: it's just not satisfying. Like, we're all curious. Plus,
4: it's the basis for all science.
3: Yeah. <laughs> we don't want that to stop. We're, we, like, really need a vaccine right now. So.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Especially now.
3: The blue ribbon. Why do we want to be first?
2: It definitely killed him. I mean, it's tied to heartbreak. It's like... You know, he right. needed to be first. That's why he was heartbroken and demoralized on the route back.
3: It's not the blue ribbon, it's him letting himself get heartbroken because he didn't get the blue ribbon.
4: Yeah. You know, uh, in sort of thinking about this, what made Amundsen. try and get there before scott i think it it started with scott right
3: i think i forgot to talk about one part of amundsen that could be damning right now which was that his initial plan was to go up north to the north pole and to be the first one on the north pole but he found out that two other guys were already doing it so he decided to go to the south pole wow and On top of that, he didn't tell his crew that they were going
1: about the change of plans until they they had, like, traveled all the way to Madeira. Also, what I was reading was that Amundsen took a riskier path to get to the South Pole. And so they took a a risk, and for them it paid off, where Scott, I think, was doing things more by the book. And sort of ironically, they all ended up Wow, Dead.
3: Amanda. Wow. I think it's time to take British Manners Gone Wild off the table.
4: I mean, I'd watch a show called British Manners <laughs> Gone Wild. <laughs>
3: right. No. Okay. You're, they're coming off the list. So the last four are Heartbreak, Robert Falcon Scott, Amundsen, and Frozen Socks.
2: I mean, I feel like we have to take Amundsen off. He's He sounds like a bit of an a asshole, but like they didn't even encounter each other. They didn't have any interaction this whole expedition. Like, they they saw them over at the bay. They came back and said, we're we're getting punked. And then they got punked and saw the note left for them at the South Pole.
3: I think you changed my mind. I was about to, in my mind, send Amundsen to jail. And then I was like, wow. he didn't. <laughs> Can you really send someone to jail for...
2: For being competition,
3: I don't think we can send Robert Scott uh, Falcon Scott to jail. This is yes a and tough no. Call.
4: This is a tough call, and now I'm actually leaning back. I'm, I'm gone full circle, and I'm looking at frozen socks. I got my, <laughs> <laughs> I got my sights fully locked in on frozen socks. I hear you guys. They are just a synecdoche or whatever, but what it represents is. It represents that preparation. It represents that bad luck. It represents that bad weather. And just imagining myself putting on frozen socks, I want to put myself in that alarmist jail just to get some warmth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
3: And look, at the end of the day, I don't think I can send heartbreak to jail because we don't want to lose heartbreak. It's 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 part of our our humanity. And yes, he should have overcome this heartbreak for the better of the crew but i don't think it's a, a, a culprit that we can just like remove from society
2: i agree with that 100 percent.
3: why don't we send frozen socks to the alarmist jail and we p- give amundsen the big slap
2: it feels like we're bringing something new to the table here we're all pet owners and
4: grady has a dog as well and we have two dogs and i just a little detail about Amundsen is that he planned, so he built his whole expedition around these dogs and he actually planned on eating them, certain ones (gasps) of them, on his way back. Which, on one hand, (laughs) on one one hand, you can say that's good planning, right? (laughs) Like, but on, but I think in a modern, from a modern perspective, like it's yeah. just worthy of a big
2: old slap. <gasps> Does After not fly. Those
1: dogs got them to the South Pole safely. He was going, they should be given medals and mansions. Yes. Yeah.
3: Bring a granola bar.
2: Yeah. <laughs> eat a granola bar.
3: Amundsen, you're getting the big slap. Frozen socks. You're going to the alarmist jail. <laughs> So our electricity bill is going to go up because we got to keep these socks frozen in jail.
4: Oh, yeah. because if they, well, Then they're
2: just wet socks. And eventually yeah.
1: Grady, build them one of his igloos. Sure.
2: <laughs> keep them nice and insulated.
3: Well, Grady, thank you so much for helping us get to the bottom of who's to blame for this huge failure. Thank um, you. You know, again, I just want to reiterate First is the worst, second is the best, third is the one with the hairy, hairy chest.
2: Never forget that. Just right up there with Be Prepared.
3: After the failed expedition, according to History.com, by the time the bodies of Scott, Wilson, and Bowers were found, Amundsen had already returned home in triumph and embarked on a lecture tour. Despite having won the race without losing a single man, he was in many ways overshadowed by Scott, whose doomed march had made him a hero in his native Britain. Undeterred, Amundsen continued his wandering and eventually explored the Arctic. He reached the North Pole in 1926. Two years later, he died in a plane crash while searching for a missing explorer over Norway's archipelago. Explorers continued to venture to Antarctica in the years after Amundsen and Scott's legendary race, but it was not until 1956 that an expedition once again stood on the South Pole. The world's southernmost point has been continuously uninhabited ever since, and its two earliest pioneers are now honored in the name of its permanent research facility, the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station. From Scott's last entry, March 29, 1912. Quote, Had we lived, I should have had a tale to tell of hardihood, endurance, and courage of my companions, which would have stirred the heart of every Englishman. These rough notes and our dead bodies must tell the tale. Vote for who you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the Alarmist Thee on Twitter, at the Alarmist Podcast on Instagram, or email us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail dot Tune in next week. We'll be figuring out who's to blame for the execution of the Romanovs.